Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I remember when the movie came out in 1994. It was the absolute height of the lead actor's fame. It was supposed to be this ultimate sexy epic about lifelong love and turmoil extending well past any human being's natural timeline. To say this book and its entire series is a sensation is an understatement. The series, which has something like 14 books, has sold over 80 million copies worldwide. This Halloween, we're getting spooky with one of the most recognizable brooding figures of vampire lore. This year, we're sitting down for an interview with the vampire. Greetings and welcome to Fuckboys of Literature. I'm your host, Emily Edwards. This is the second vampire-themed book we've tackled on the podcast. And after reading this, I'm starting to see why vampires are, shall we say, such a juicy subject for discussions about fuckboys. So much angst, so much frippery, such incredibly long lives. With me today is culture writer Danielle Ryan, who suggested this book. How are you today? I'm doing great. I get to talk about one of my favorite fuckboys in all of history, so. Curious to see who you're going to say is the fuckboy of this book. But before we start getting into that, I should ask, what is your definition of a fuckboy? Ooh, my definition of a fuckboy, it's the, I mean, I've heard your mad, bad, and dangerous uh, version, the Lord Byron version, and mm-hmm. mine is is pretty in line with that, I would say. A fuckboy is someone who uh, their own exploits uh, don't they don't take other people into any consideration and it's just about them 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 all the time very uh dorian gray types yes i think that is a wonderful way to describe like the literary fuckboy and that there's just like this deep-seated selfishness in the actions and there's a lot of that in vampire lore like it's absolutely astounding how much that comes into play Oh, it's hilarious. Like, vampires are probably the most selfish of all the supernatural creatures. Ah, see, I th- I'm glad you said that, because when we did our Twilight episode, you know, there was, like, some waffling about, like, what, which is more fuckboy, the werewolf or the vampire? And I have to say, I think it's vampire. I think we- werewolves don't have that same sort of selfishness involved. Well, because werewolves have to worry about the pack. So there's a pack mentality and there's that social aspect baked right into a werewolf story, whereas uh, vampires are traditionally very solitary. So the fuckboy nature is baked right in. That's a really good point. I don't know what other sort of supernatural creatures would we include in the sort of vampire werewolf arena? I don't know if witches. Witches? Yeah. Witches would make sense. Witches, um, fairies, like Celtic fae fairies tend to get lumped in with this stuff. I always like fairies because they're, this is completely off topic from what we had initially started talking about, but I always like fairies because they're very, um, they're like trickster characters and I always, you know, emotionally connect with the people who just kind of like play pranks and things like that. It's just jovial, even though it's usually really sinister when you're talking about fairies. Yeah, usually with fairies, their pranks are like, oh, we traded your baby out with an evil baby fairy (laughs) that's going to ruin your whole life. But to them, it's just very funny. Yeah, I know you were a maiden and you were going to get married, but now you're not. (laughs) And it's like, oh, (laughs) don't do that. That's really cruel. Don't yeah, don't do that. That's not good. But yeah, fairies, the fairy stuff's really fun. Uh, and I love how, like you said, sort of sinister some of that is because when you're a little kid, you think of fairy tales and you think of Tinkerbell. Mm-hmm. And then when you get older, you realize, oh, no, no. They're, they're, they're scary, just like all these vampires and werewolves and exactly. witches and ghosts and all these. And I think another thing that you don't really internalize when you are a kid is that for some reason, were- uh, not werewolves, vampires are always fancy. There's no such thing as like kind of like a middle class vampire, which I really love. You don't really see that. No, yeah. It's usually 
really fancy because even if they're your sort of gross spooky rotting vampires Mm -hmm. like your Nosferatu style vampires they're still dressed very well they are they always have a lovely cloak or at least it was very well you know well tailored when you first got it they always live in a castle they never live in like a split level like (laughs) I love vampires always you always think of Gary Oldman and uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula with mm-hmm. the puffy collars and things. I think of vampires and I think of fluffy collars. Yes, exactly. The Seinfeld pirate shirt almost always comes yes. into play. Yes, exactly. Well, they have to protect their necks. So that, there you go. Perfect sense. Perfect sense. When did you first come across Interview with the Vampire? Because it was written in the 70s, but obviously it was a movie in the early 90s. Um, It was a movie in the early 90s, and I saw the movie in the local video store when I was probably about 10 or 11, and my mom refused to let me get it. No, Mm -hmm. you can't see that. That's way too adult for you. So, of course, I went to the library and got the book, and I was like, well, she can't tell me no here. And (laughs) I fell in love with the book, and then I just devoured everything Anne Rice I could get my hands on from that point forward. And it was funny because a lot of folks were really getting into Harry Potter right at this time. Like I was about 12 when I started really digging into these and everybody else was like, oh, have you read Harry Potter? And I'm like, no, I have vampires. It's cool. (laughs) I found it really strange because I remember being told that I couldn't watch the movie and that also that the books were like, quote, too adult for me. But then reading it as an adult, it's not that adult like it's there's no like bodice ripping sex scenes there's not a whole lot of like truly grisly murder and i'm like what were people objecting to when we were kids it's tame it's really tame especially compared to some of rice's other work which i think is part of it she wrote actual erotica under a different name and that was sort of wrapped up in her legacy for a while she wrote a bdsm series called the taking of sleeping beauty that's whoo yeah and i think that had a lot to do with it that people just conflated the two and there's there's some pretty grisly violence in some of the later vampire chronicles books there's some stuff where i'm just like all right and that's straight out of stephen king i'm impressed yeah exactly you flexed a muscle i didn't know you had on this one good job yeah, there's a there's a thing in Prince Lestat in the realms of Atlantis where I actually like went like physically recoiled away from the book because it was such a disgusting description of a beheading. That is like, really all right, hard all right, to Anne. do. It is. I read all kinds of horror and I watch all kinds of horror. So for someone who, you know, I usually go to for fluffy, mm-hmm. poem vampires to, to get that kind of reaction is impressive. Yeah. I mean, I've tried to write horror a couple times, and it's not really my genre, like off the bat. But it, it, you know, when you even when you're just trying to write about something spooky, you're like, oh, that's that's kind of boring. I did not knock that one out of the park. This is really difficult and really hard to do. The book is not terribly long, but it is fairly involved in that when it's called Interview with the Vampire, it is literally just an interview with a vampire. (laughs) And at first. I was a little surprised that there wasn't more happening, you know, under the guise of getting it to start. Yeah, there's a lot of people that when I recommend Anne Rice to them, I kind of have to warn them nothing really happens. Yes. That over the course of maybe the shoot. Okay, so over the course of the 14, I think, uh, Vampire Chronicles books, there's maybe three books where major events happen. Otherwise, it's just sort of the histories of these vampires and their lives and their autobiographies. And so if you're interested in that, it's great. Yeah, it feels almost academic because there's so much history and so much. It's it can be pretty dry. It's really dry. And it's so strange because she'll go from this super dry sort of this happened, this happened, this happened to these elaborate flowery descriptions of locations Mm -hmm. and characters. And you're like, whoa, whiplash. Should we give a bit of a summary of the book, like off the bat, just like, I guess, mostly of the, the main characters kind of timeline and how he came to be? 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Interview with the Vampire is the story of Louis Pointe du Lac. And he's a fancy, fancy man who lives on a plantation. Um, <laughs> he's, he's, it's, a, it's an indigo plantation, which I was like, wait, indigo? What used to, that was still a we thing in the yeah. 1700s? Yeah, we grew indigo. Um, but yeah, he lives south of New Orleans, which most of these books take place in New Orleans uh, pre-Katrina. After Katrina, she stopped setting them in New Orleans, which oh, I, I thought was kind that. of sad. Yeah. This guy named Louis, uh, he is this, you know, young, handsome man, young baby Brad Pitt in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, his brother dies, and it's something that really disturbs him because his brother is very pious and very good. And Louis's like, well, how could something horrible happen to somebody good? And he really struggles with morality and... Then one night he gets visited by Lestat, who is sort of the main character of the entire Vampire Chronicles. And Lestat is this French nobleman who happens to be a vampire. And he turns Louis into a vampire. And the rest of the book is their misadventures together as Louis tries to figure out how to be a vampire in late 1700s New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, I really was surprised because, again, I had only known about this series through a friend of mine in high school who loved the series. And so I had assumed that Lestat was the main character. And in this one, it's just all introduced through Louis's eyes. And Louis is not ever comfortable with himself. He didn't seem particularly comfortable with himself prior to being turned into a vampire. And then after he's a vampire, like all hell breaks loose in this poor man's brain. He is just self-loathing seems to be like his chief MO. Yeah. And he stays that way throughout the course of the series towards the end of the series. Louis is just this broken, sad, sad man. And He's he's so sad that I can't hate him, but yeah. I'm just I pity him. Yeah, completely. In a way that you wouldn't think you would pity this guy who has always had money, always had social power, has always been desired and now like is immortal. And he's just like he's kind of a sad sack the entire time. <laughs> He really is. He's so sad that he's a vampire. It's kind of like when Luke Skywalker finds out that, you know, he's got Jedi powers and he's like, why me? Yeah. That sort of chosen one mentality that they get all upset. Yeah. And Louis really doesn't handle it well. And then Lestat does make things a lot worse. Oh, uh, Lestat, Lestat is the brat prince. That's um, his name. That's the name pretty much everybody gives him in these books. It's and so fitting. <laughs> It's so fitting. He is. He's the brat prince. He's a spoiled, spoiled brat. He does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, for whatever reason. And in the later books, it's from his perspective. So at least we're sort of, we have an understanding as to, you know, why he does some of Mm -hmm. these wacky things. You know, Queen of the Damned, he just goes, oh, I'm going to become a rock star. All right, Lestat. Why not? Uh, But (laughs) but in this one, we only have Louis' perspective. And Louis is so soft and so sad that seeing this vampire rock star kind of guy through those eyes, it's everything Louis can't be. And so he both wants to be him and hates him. Yeah, and it's especially difficult through the eyes of Louis, who doesn't seem to want anything. So it's very difficult to understand motive when Louis doesn't seem to like actively want to accomplish or acquire anything. He just kind of like had his indigo plantation and that was just gonna be it for him. And I never really got the impression that like he coveted anything, whether or not he wanted to achieve something, like his brother wanted to be in the clergy. It was just kind of like, He was just existing, and that was enough. Yeah, and to imagine just existing and just sort of being comfortable with existing, but not totally comfortable with it because you're not sure why you're existing. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, guess what? You're immortal. You're existing forever, bud. This is going to happen forever until time, you know, until your head gets separated from your body. And it's like, whoa, that does sound like actual hell for someone like Louis, like, who doesn't and seem to enjoy living or have any feelings about it one way or the other. Yeah, Louis and Lestat are polar opposites. Lestat believes in, you know, joy de vivre. He really 
lives as much as he can despite being undead. He loves finery. He loves Mm -hmm. beautiful men and women. He loves being around food even if he can't eat it. He loves art and color and music. And Louis just, he's like somebody who's completely depressed and can't even see the beauty in front of him. Yeah. And it's not until he has his own little family that he's able to feel again. And that's, I think, the biggest tragedy of Interview with the Vampire. Yeah, because uh, there are just about like four mainish characters in my mind. It's Lestat, Louis, Claudia, and then I would include Armand just because he like really changes Louis's life towards the end of the book. And and it's such an odd wonderful relationship between them because they do consider Lestat, Louis, and Claudia consider themselves to be a family. They are. They're two fathers and their beautiful child. Yeah. And Claudia can never grow up. So she's their beautiful child forever, which is her curse. I I don't know where I rank them on like sort of the fuckboy sort of spectrum I guess I'll say because Claudia towards the end of her life her motivations become so sinister by how she as she learns how she was created oh Claudia absolutely becomes a fuckboy uh she's very much her one of her father's daughters she's very much Lestat's child yes in every way and the sequence where he turns her and is dancing with her dead mother is sort of the moment that and then she starts giggling and asks for more blood. That's when I was like, oh, no matter how sweet she may seem, no matter how much influence Louis has on her, that's a little monster. Mm -hmm. So Claudia comes to existence because Lestat and Louis are sort of like walking around New Orleans and Louis sort of senses her. And she's been hidden in an apartment or is trapped in an apartment as a very small child with her mother who has died. And Louis goes to eat her, essentially. And Lestat gets it kind of in his head that instead he's going to turn her into a vampire and they're going to have this beautiful vampire daughter. Yeah, which is great for a little while. Yeah. But to have this vampire daughter who is essentially a doll, she's five years old forever, Mm -hmm. but she has the mind of a woman as time goes on. Exactly. And her body never ages. And that is horrifying to think of and it's it's a weird comment it's an interesting commentary on you know infantilization and sort of the sexualization of young girls too because there's some moments later where she's trying to kiss louis and she's like why won't you kiss me like that and he's like uh because you're a little girl yeah yeah there's they have such an interesting relationship too because he does have incredibly intense love for her And he expresses it throughout the book. And he calls her like his paramour and his love and things like that. And it does start to border, for me at least, on non-parental affection. And and again, thinking of her in a five-year-old's body, which, you know, regardless of what time you're living in, that's too young. It's a very dicey situation for Louis to be in. And he never really knows how to handle it. He doesn't, whereas Lestat, I mean, you know, teases him and makes awful cracks and Mm -hmm. basically relishes in what he has created after the fact. He's like, oh, I know I made a mistake. Shouldn't have made a child vampire. Oh, well, let's see what happens. He's just so chaotic. He's like, he's sort of the Loki of this universe. He's just like, let's just make something awful happen and then just see where it goes. And then like, he doesn't seem to really have any... Um, second thought about like as soon as Claudia becomes you know really truly inconvenient being basically a 100 year plus year old woman trapped in a five year old body Lestat is just kind of like eh we'll just kill her you know we'll dispatch of her that'll be fine we'll just get rid of her it'll be fine and and then she decides hey Louis let's kill Lestat which that's an even bigger no-no like killing your vampire master is the biggest no-no yes It's, it's sort of the idea that you're going after the the one that create created you. You can't do that. That's pretty much the only vampire rule mm-hmm. in this in this series until much 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 later when uh, Lestat actually becomes the prince of the vampires and it gets real silly. Gotcha. <laughs> oh no, it's never good when the lore starts to like come unraveled at the end. <laughs> oh, the last few books come so unraveled. That's the craziest thing about this series is. 
I know we're only doing interview, but just if you ever get into this series, interview and the first few books are really wonderful. They're 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 crazy, but they're wonderful. And then she stopped letting editors read her work before it was published oh, after Queen of the Damned. Gotcha. And it's gotten progressively more self-indulgent as time has gone on. And the last few have involved like aliens sending down creatures to found Atlantis to stop humanity from taking over the earth because mammals are a disease. Oh, that's no good. It's just, it goes so crazy that it, it's really strange. Really, really strange. But these, yeah, these first few books, they're good gothic yeah. Of stuff. I, you know, I was amazed at how well the world was built and how clearly there is like sort of a right and wrong. And you can see Louis struggle, even though he, he doesn't really seem to take a position on anything. And it's, it's a beautiful piece of writing for how well she gets you in the mind of someone who just like, he feels like a cartoon character who's just like having a freak out at all times. <laughs> it's almost like being in the mind of Hamlet. Like yes. I've always really thought Louis was a Hamlet sort of character that his, his tragedy is his indecision. Yeah. Yeah. And Lestat is, there's nothing really trapped. I don't know how much I consider Lestat tragic in any way because he seems to no. really relish in everything he does. And he never, I don't know, he he doesn't, he's a fuckboy through and through. He is just king fuckboy of the book, though. Oh, Lestat's king fuckboy of the whole series and of anything he touches. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's like I said, he's one of my favorite fuckboys in all of literature. He is just so self-centered and so full of himself, so narcissistic. I I mean, he is turned into a vampire and a a lot of these vampires, you know, have these crises of morality and have this, you know, who am I? What am I? And he's just like, oh, I got superpowers now. I deserved this all along. Exactly. Because he, I'm not sure, I'm sure it goes back into his history prior to meeting Louis, but I thought the most interesting thing about Interview with the Vampire is that, like, Lestat doesn't have his own money. He turns Louis so he can have access to Louis's fortune. And then it's like, it's not what you would consider, like, a vampire to do. Normally they turn people out of like lust or you know desire and the I guess the desire and lust for Lestat is just kind of like that guy's money and power and really nice house yeah I mean the first two people that he turns in his book which is the second book the and the first two people he turns are his best friend and his own mother So he's just, and it both because he wants them around because he doesn't, he's like, oh, if I'm going to be around forever, you're coming with me. Yeah. And his mom hates him for it. That's one of the kind of funny things is she's like, oh, you had to bother me my whole life. Now you have to bother me now too. Oh God. And, and, but the good thing is, is he's like, well, now you're not bound by the structures of our society and this and that. So she cuts off all her hair and pretends to be a boy and lives as a man for like 200 years. Oh, good for her. Round of applause so, for her. That is fantastic. Yes. So Gabrielle is one of my favorite fuckboys in the series as well because she is awesome. And that's where he gets it from. <laughs> exactly. Like there's selfishness. Selfishness or fuckboyism in male characters is so interesting because it's almost always at the expense of other people. And then when you talk about female fuckboys, and Claudia is included in this, it's always about just kind of like trying to break out of the like the constructs that limit them completely. It's true, because I think of other female fuckboys. I think of like Joe from Little Women, sort of these crazy women. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, they're really just railing against the system, whereas the male fuckboys are railing against everyone else. Exactly. The male fuckboys try to keep the system intact to the at like the detriment of literally everyone they know. And female fuckboys are like, I am going to shirk off my femininity because acting like a dude is like the greatest freedom in the world. (laughs) Because I can act like a fuckboy and no one will question me. Exactly. And they're usually not even as big of like evil fuckboys as the the men who are 
are. You know, like Claudia. Very rarely. She just, okay, Claudia is like a monster, like through and through. She is not a well-rounded person. But at the same time, she's just like, I just want to be treated like the powerful adult that I am. And the only powerful adults I have ever had experience with have been basically male vampires. So how can she know how to behave like an adult? Yeah, she has no idea how to behave like an adult. Well, and then they try to give her a mother, too. They yeah. There's a, a female doll maker named Madeline who... She lost her daughter to the same plague that killed Claudia's mother, and she's mourning her, and she makes all of Claudia's dolls, mm-hmm. and finally Lestat's like, oh, well, if she won't listen to her father's, we'll just give her a mother, and he turns her into a vampire, too, and basically gives her to Claudia like a present. Yeah, like, like that a toy. Really tells you, yeah, it really tells you Lestat, the way he views other people and their autonomy, is that, like, he'll just, oh, I'll turn you into a vampire and give you as a present. That's fine. Yeah. It's not all right. <laughs> and he really is the ultimate fuckboy. And he he goes off to, uh, he you know, they, they try to kill him. Mm-hmm. We think he's gone. We think that the uh, fuckboy has vanished into the flames forever and been eaten by alligators. Unfortunately, but no. Alas, no. no. Alas, no. He, he shows back up in uh, Paris where they run to... Uh, Armand, who is so different in the books and the movie. That's the biggest change, in my opinion. Yeah. So Armand in the movie from 1994, Antonio Banderas at the peak of sexy Antonio Banderas. And in the book... Mask of Zorro, yes. Yeah, he's gorgeous. And I mean, I was, oh, what, 10 when this movie came out. So yeah, there, there was something happening in my love for Antonio Banderas back then. But like... In the book, uh, that's not him. Armand is not that. <laughs> In the book, he looks like Ed Sheeran with long hair. Oh, like, that's sad. Like, or not quite. I mean, he has, he has a baby face. Like, yeah. it repeatedly talks about how angelic and cherubic his face is. So I think of somebody with a very tiny round baby face with a little button nose and big eyes and he has and he has red 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 hair fire red hair which is something they describe repeatedly so for that to be Antonio Banderas I'm like oh and he's supposed to be 17 eternally 17 which is that's that's another one of those things where it gets on that creepy line because there's some sex scenes with him in some of the books and I'm like I'm like okay he's not actually 17 he's like 300 but his body's 17. I'm like, and that's right on the line where I'm like, uh, at least yeah. he's not five. Yeah, that's truly the diciness of writing about vampires because mental age and physical age are two different things. And I don't want to I don't want to play with that all the time. I don't know. And it, I mean, at least nobody's imprinting on a baby. True. But... <laughs> True. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. so Armand is Armand's the leader of the Theater de Vampires, um, which is this coven in Paris that worships the idea of death and mm-hmm. this the theatrics of death, and they're just total goth kids. And it's uh, true; Louis, they very much are. They are, and Louis sort of gets wrapped up in their their weird sad goth stuff because if ever there was a sad goth boy, it's Louis. It's Louis. <laughs> It's Louis. He just belongs there. Like, I expect him to have eyeliner and black lipstick on by the end of this movie. Which, it's really hard for me to picture Brad, like, Legends of the Fall era Brad Pitt in this role. And I need to go back and rewatch the movie because it feels weird. He's great in it, though, is what's crazy. And and Tom Cruise is actually pretty good as Lestat, although visually does not work for me at all because Lestat is supposed to be ridiculously good looking and Tom Cruise has never done it for me. So especially with the blonde wig in this, it's just like, oh, honey, no. Yeah, it didn't work. It doesn't work. At least Stuart Townsend. I was like, all right, him I can look at. Queen of the Damned. At least I've got some eye candy, but... Uh, no, if I had to cast Lestat, I'd do the guy from American Horror Story that played the Antichrist last season. I guess the other thing that I like, I didn't find this book, like, erotic or sexy in any way. So, and that's supposed to just be, supposed to be like the the 
point of like fuckboys is that they're comes by they're supposed to be alluring. They're supposed to like reach out to you in this like animal way. And I was just kind of like, these boys are annoying. <laughs> I think so much of it is so homo romantic that it does make it difficult as a woman to be like, because you know they're not gonna be interested in you in any way beyond food. That's a good so point. So it's sort of like yeah, it's sort of like whatever eroticism is going on, it's between men. And so it's like, yeah, it might be kind of interesting and it might be you know, an aesthetically pleasing thing, but yeah. we will never be the objects of their desire. Yeah. So it's sort of hard to get into it the same way you do with like a Darcy or something like that, where you're like, oh, I can picture myself with him. With these guys, it's like, oh, I can picture myself being snacked on, which yeah, exactly. that might be somebody's thing, but it's not mine. It's not mine. But you're right. That must be the boundary pushing that people were talking about because it is incredibly homoromantic. And they're, they really never turn to it is gay it is just simply they never turn to like um objectify women at any point like even louis even goes straight to armand once lestat throws him over Mm -hmm. and in, in the film there's one sequence where they talk about a beautiful woman and they talk about her heritage and her skin color and it's really gross look going back and listening to it now because it's forced yeah it's so well it's so forced and it's also because they're like commenting on how her race makes her beautiful and i'm just like ooh, i'm like ooh, new orleans in that time period no yeah no good uh but they do that whole bit and i it was so funny because he still describes her like somebody would describe like a prized livestock Mm. like he describes he describes her flank he describes her side like and the way he describes her yeah it's very much like oh okay he sees her as uh, an object yeah. entirely. There, yeah. She has no personhood to him. And even Claudia doesn't. He sees her as a doll, as something to dress up and to give beautiful wigs. Yeah. And so it, it really, Lestat is just, well, he turned his own mom into a vampire. I mean, come on. Yeah. That's a fucking <sighs> crappy move. That is, yeah. I didn't realize there was that whole, there was a moment of like really problematic racial uh, politics in that because talking about black women or non-white women as though their livestock is really not okay. Don't do that. That's truly yeah, horrendous. extra special. Never, ever, ever okay. But yeah. yeah, even especially framed within this context in this time period as a time when we had the language for different amounts of, you know, whatever heritage you had, you had a different name. I mean, it's yeah. really, really a extra bad period of time to sort of show off that kind of behavior so yeah. bad Lestat yeah bad. super bad don't do that yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bad Anne Rice. yeah exactly like full body cringe in Anne Rice mm-hmm. writing that in a relatively modern context um <laughs> it's in the movie but I don't remember it being in the book at all yeah so. me neither that's a good point oh thanks Hollywood so. good job yeah thanks thanks movie producers Yay. I guarantee you had something to do with it yeah Oh, well, doesn't that bring it's us also, to modern it's times? It's also one of the only, oh, yeah, well, it's only one of the only other nude scenes in the film. So, like, it's a fully nude woman, and I it feels so pushed in there to be like, hey, we gotta have something sexy for the guys. Ew. Mm-hmm. Yay, that's nice and depressing. <sighs> and then I was just bring the horror. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> that's where the horror comes from. Yeah, it's not the fact that they're vampires; it's the fact that men wrote, like were involved in it. Basically, <laughs> that straight Although, men were allowed to deal with this property. Oh, Anne Rice has her own problematic issues too. She's she has described herself in interviews many, many times as a gay man trapped in a woman's body, and I'm like, honey, honey, no, no, we don't do that. No, no, no. yeah, she's she's something. Yikes. She's a big yikes. She yeah. is fascinating, but just a big old yikes. And then the fact that her son helps her adapt to everything now, I'm like, I wouldn't want my son reading all this weird vampire fan fiction I've been writing. Nope. Mm-mm. Family should never be involved in things that are sexy. Just hard line. <laughs> Don't do it. Hard, hard line. <laughs> okay. We'll be right back. <laughs> I'm going to segue back to the book because, ew. Good idea. <laughs> to me, 
One of the biggest fuckboy moves that come, it, it happens in like the last 10 pages. And that's when the interviewer, who is only ever referred to as the boy, insists on becoming a vampire after Louis kind of pours his soul out to him for eight hours. And it's such a bullshit thing to do. It's such a dick move. And the boy actually becomes a character in the later books. Does and he? he's he's never right. Uh, they turn him into a vampire and it basically, he, it fractures something in his mind and he becomes so obsessed with minutia that he cannot function. So they'll just give him like boxes and boxes of toothpicks and he'll remake the 16th, the Sistine Chapel out of toothpicks. Wow. That's mm-hmm. so interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah, his name's Daniel. Okay. He, he ends up being in it a bunch more later. And I did like that it was Christian Slater in the movie. Ooh, that was kind of fun. That is fun. Christian Slater doesn't get the respect that he deserves. But um, yeah, like I thought, it, you know, after Louis literally sits there for the entire evening from sundown to sunup, basically saying this is like the greatest tragedy that has ever befallen a man, basically, of becoming a vampire. It is an absolute terrible thing that can happen all the boy can hear about is and all he can hear is just sort of eternal life you know sexy good times in paris and enough time to amass riches yeah yeah he's like okay okay i know you said this is going to be terrible and nothing will ever go right but do me do me Mm -hmm. me next me next it's such a human reaction and specifically like a male reaction, I think, to hearing vampire narratives. Oh, definitely. It's it, it will. I mean, women hear vampire narratives and they they definitely do think, oh, what if I was a vampire yeah. and this and that. But I think there's more thought that goes into it because then we start going, OK, well, what kind of vampire and what would the rules be? Mm-hmm. And what would you know, we think about all the ways it could go wrong. Yeah. Whereas I think there's just not as much of that going on because things don't tend to go wrong as often. I think that's a good point. Like women in one thing that we were talking about earlier with like um, Lestat's mom, where it's like she goes, sweet, eternal life means I can break off the shackles of being female, especially in like the 1700s, where it's like way more limiting. And then they're like, great, this will afford me the freedom to like learn and amass wealth and property and do all these things that I couldn't do before. And then modern times now, you know, you think about, the twilight craze where girls were like kind of like sweet if i become a vampire i get to be sexy and like acknowledge that part of me which like a lot of girls who were reading twilight weren't able to do because it was written by a mormon and things like that and then when men read vampire novels and they really get into it they're just kind of like sweet more power and wealth (laughs) and that's it they're like oh i can be a vampire and i'll be a sexy vampire and have a bunch of girlfriends and i'll have a castle and this and that yeah it's and, and you bring us to a really great point, which is I really prefer the female vampires in yeah. the Vampire Chronicles. And there aren't as many of them by a long shot. Uh, this is hmm. absolutely a story filled with fuckboys. But the female vampires that are in this, are they have a lot more depth. And there's just a lot more going on. There's there's a side book. Uh, they she did three side books called like the Tales of the Vampires or something. Mm-hmm. And one of them is the story of Pandora, who Ooh. is um, Marius, who created Armand. It was one of his first loves, and he made her into a vampire in ancient Greece. Ooh! So it goes all the way back to ancient Greece, and then. He made her into a vampire because she didn't want to marry anybody and she was becoming an old maid and it was going to be this big problem. Mm-hmm. And and she's totally feminist, totally like, no, I'll do what I want. That's and awesome. so she takes the name Pandora after the Greek goddess because she's like, oh, now that I'm a vampire, y'all have opened the box. Let's go. Oh, that's so cool. I yeah, love so that. I love the females. Like Akasha, too, the fact that the the queen of all the vampires, you know, the leader of all the vampires Mm -hmm. prior to Lestat taking over is a woman is pretty cool, too. And a woman of color, which is even cooler. That is even cooler. I wonder how much of that goes back to like this, this idea that like male vampires, they don't. If they see a woman, they usually want to just subject her and like snack on her and leave her. Whereas like it takes an a special relationship between a male vampire and a 
to make a female vampire. Like any run-of-the-mill woman, they just kind of like use up. Pretty much, because a lot of the females that are turned in this are ones that had some sort of relationship to the male vampire prior or later on they show some sort of special promise. And each of the vampires in the series has a different reason for making other vampires. Uh, For Lestat, it is purely vanity. It's all just about aesthetics and beauty and ego. Yeah. Uh, Whereas Marius really commits to the idea of keeping people who are going to change society for the better around. Mm-hmm. And like, he really does want to do that. And like, so that's why he made Pandora and Armand, who you find out was a little Russian iconography painter. Oh, And yeah, it's really, each of these characters has a rich backstory. That's so And that's cool. what people, that's what I think people love about the series. Once they really get into it mm-hmm. is just the amount of lore that exists. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of novels that I've been reading for the show that are fantasy and the lore that's presented in a lot of fantasy doesn't, it seems there just to kind of like move the plot ahead. Whereas if there's like lore and history for each character to actually enrich the character, I feel like I'm drawn more to that. And it explains character motivations rather than just kind of like and getting you to the end of the book. Exactly. When you get to the later books and you start learning some of Armand's motivations and then you go back and reread interview and you're like, oh, him acting like this in the theater totally makes sense with what I know happened to him a hundred years before with what I know happens to him after. Like he ends up running out into the sun because he believes God told him to like it gets wacky. Yeah. So he lives. Oh, well, he he's still in the series. He's still around. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. Because he's he is like a little he is very interesting to me because he is so invested in like the vampire way of life. But at the same time, like he has these rules like you can't kill another vampire. You know, you have to respect the, the, the coven, so to speak. And then he does dispatch of a lot of vampires himself. And he does also like keep a boy in a cage. Oh, he does some pretty gross stuff. And a lot of that I attribute to his upbringing and what he went through because Marius helped raise him from the time he was a little boy. So he was literally raised by a vampire. Oh, and then wasn't turned until he was 17. Exactly. Gotcha. So So he was kind of like raised in the culture, so to speak. Raised, yeah, raised in the culture. And he never knew exactly what it was, but there were lots and lots of instances where he saw things he shouldn't have or experienced things he shouldn't have at a very young age. And it's like, okay, I, I see where this started to happen. Gotcha. Fascinating, which is also a real fuckboy thing for Marius to do to someone. You did. Oh, yes. What's better, being like raised as to be a vampire or having it just kind of like sprung on you? Well, he wasn't planning on turning him. I will give him that. Um, He had never planned on turning. He had a whole bunch of boys that he was raising in a situation that could only exist in 17th century Venice. Right. And uh, he was raising all these boys and there was an attack on his chateau and Armand was nearly killed. And then that's why he turns him. Gotcha. Okay. So it's it's better. It's not, it's not like he raised him to turn him. Marcus is actually probably the least fuck boy of all of the vampires. Like he is... It's Louis and, and Marius are the two that I'm like, you guys are, you're, you're not really fuckboys. Yeah. Louis is a sad boy and totally. Marius, Marius just has this like crazy hard on for what's right morality. And, <laughs> and he actually has studied it for so long. And when he was alive, he used to study, you know, with the great philosophers of ancient Rome and ancient Greece. So like, that's his thing. Yeah. That is so interesting. Like, I feel like a lot of... I guess I will say I started reading or I did read Bram Stoker's Dracula for another episode that didn't end up coming to fruition. And then to compare that to the Twilight episode that we did, and then this is obviously like in between them in the Mm -hmm. pop culture understanding of vampire lore. This feels like the most mature understanding of what a vampire culture would actually be. 
Oh, definitely. Uh, it's always funny when I talk about vampires because I'm like, okay, well, do you want to be a Dracula vampire? Do you mm-hmm. want to be a True Blood vampire? Do you want to be a Twilight? Like, there's all the different kinds. True Blood had a lot of it close because their whole thing was really about politics. Right. And it really was about, you know, they're just humans who get to live forever. So they're mm-hmm. going to do the same dumb things humans do. Whereas with Rice, it's so much more about the vampires are their own worst enemies. Like, yeah. they're battling their own demons so much that the culture really is about them trying to find kinship in one another and just trying to survive. Yeah. Until later on when there's way too many vampires because there's like an explosion of baby vampires and then it gets <laughs> silly again. Oh, I love that it always reverts back to being silly. <laughs> it does. That's the thing. It'll go from being this incredible, beautiful rumination on, you know, the nature of a man's soul. And if you can be good while sowing death and all this kind of crazy Victorian gothic stuff. And yeah. then it'll be like just completely not so silly. And you're like, all right, you do you, Anne. Yep. I'm along for the ride. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, she wrote The Wolf Gift, which is about a superhero werewolf who falls in love with a woman who will only have sex with him in werewolf form. That's not a thing I'm probably going to read, but (laughs) I love it. I love it. Let's go balls to the wall weird. (laughs) Yeah, she she always does. She never fails to go balls to the wall weird. This series, I mean, you got vampires, there's ghosts. Mm -hmm. Claudia comes back as a ghost at one point. There's witches, uh, there's, I mean, there's a whole nother series with witches that then crosses over into this series. Uh, There is a demon that says he is the actual devil, that he is the Lucifer cast down from heaven. That's awesome. And he takes, he takes Lestat on a tour of hell a la Dante. Uh, And then later, yeah, we have uh, the freaking Atlanteans and aliens. What drugs does this woman do? All of them, I'm guessing. <laughs> she has to be either all of them or she needs to be on some. Yeah, one or the other. One or the other. Take your pick. Oh my gosh. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. For the fact that the, all of that is contained in the Vampire Chronicles series, I can't stress enough that interview with the vampire is kind of really dry. None of that wackiness really is, is here. Oh, interview's super dry. Uh, Vampire Lestat, which is the second book in which most people say is the easiest one to get into and read, mm-hmm. is it's dry, but it has a lot of Lestat's wit and humor because he is, he, when she writes as Lestat, she yeah. really just gets to be sassy all over the place, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, he is charming, though. It's creepy he how is. charming he is. He's super charming and it's perfect. Like we should be charmed by him, but also hate him. That's what the nature of this character should be. And, and so when he gets to write, when it's, you know, from his perspective, it's always a lot of fun just because he's so sassy that he'll just put little snark into the dialogue and somebody will say something and he'll be like, well, that's what they thought anyway. (laughs) And I'm just like, Oh my God, are you a 17 year old girl? This is amazing. (laughs) I live for snide asides. Thank you. Uh, anything written by Lestat, full of snide asides. So the the Lestat, any of his books are great. Uh, the Armand book is pretty good. The Marius book is really flowery, but pretty good. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they're interesting. Tale of the Body Thief is wacky because people are switching bodies and Lestat becomes human for a while. Ooh. So that one's really interesting. Yeah, she basically, she knows that after Queen of the Damned, she had to change it up. And yeah. she couldn't just tell the same story over and over again. So she's like, what else can I throw in this universe? Yeah, I think it's really strange now, at least to our relationship to vampires, and that I don't know if they're scary anymore. I think they still are, but that it really depends on the type of vampire. Like, I'm not afraid of a Twilight vampire. No. Uh, I'm not really afraid of Anne Rice vampires too much because of, you know, they're all so worried about being good. Most of them are trying to be good, and the yeah. ones that aren't are just going to kill you so fast it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to so, leave you alive, so. Okay. Yeah, there's not a lot of real nastiness, but there's there's still some vampires that are real scary. They're just mostly in, like, little indie horror movies. Yeah. Like, like the the little girl in um ah oh shoot let let the right one in that's yes. still scary that's still scary 
the threat of yeah, being so. a vampire is still a little bit creepy. It's still a little bit frightening. Yeah, well, because you're undead. I mean, yeah. you can never see the sunlight again. And there's there's something inherently tragic to a vampire story. Yeah. Because they, they're trapped away from life. They're, yeah. they're kept from the daylight. They're kept from the world. And so that isolation means there's always going to be a tragic element. Yeah. And very few of them find ways around it. And Lestat did. That's why he's King Fuckboy. <laughs> it lends itself to fuckboyism completely. It does, because especially if you're an attention hog like Lestat, who he was, you know, a lord's son and, you know, had all these servants and mm-hmm. was rich and got to do all this stuff and he was spoiled rotten. And then now, oh, I'm a vampire and I can't let anybody know that vampires exist and I have to be quiet. And instead he's like, I'm going to be a vampire rock star. Y'all are going to be able to buy my stuff in Hot Topic. Let's do this. It's great. It's great. It is completely bonkers, and I love it. And I'm so happy you introduced me to this series because I never read it before, and now I just kind of love how bananas it is. I really do. I'm I'm glad you read it, and I'm glad I was able to because yeah, it's it's nuts. It's yeah. totally bonkers, bananas, silly stuff, and it's written in a way that is just so different from any of the other bonkers, silly bananas, vampire stuff you're going to find out there. Because yeah, you can go read True Blood. Yeah, you can go read Anita Blake. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you can go read any one of the thousands of supernatural romance series out there. But none of them have the original WTF factor of (laughs) Anne Rice. (laughs) That is the perfect way to describe it. Um, So I guess we're going to start to wrap this up. Danielle, how can our listeners keep in contact with you and everything that you do? The best way to follow me is on Twitter. I'm Danny Rat, D-A-N-I-R-A-T. It's not because I eat rats like Louie. Don't worry. (laughs) Well, thank goodness. (laughs) No, I have pet rats. I love them. And as always, you can follow Fuckboys of Literature on Twitter at Fuckboys of Lit, that's B-O-I-S, or find my personal Twitter at Ms. Emily Edwards. We are also on Instagram under the exact same handles. Be sure to check out our website, fuckboysoflit.com, where you can find some fun blog posts, a link to our merch shop, or other ways to support. We're on Patreon now. And if you can, some of the best support is rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you tune in. You have no idea how much I appreciate reading your comments and kind words. Thank you a million times for listening this week. I'm Emily Edwards, and have a good one. She's a big yike. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.